Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about leukemia. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerotofinals.com or in the haematology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Leukemia is the name for cancer of a particular line of stem cells in the bone marrow. And this causes unregulated production of certain types of blood cells. The different types of leukemia can be classified depending on how rapidly they progress. So chronic leukemia is slow and acute leukemia is fast. And they can also be classified based on the cell line that is affected. So it could be the myeloid or the lymphoid cell line. So this makes four different types of leukemia that are most common to come up in your exams and in real life. Acute myeloid leukemia, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, chronic myeloid leukemia and chronic lymphocytic leukemia. There are also rarer and more specialist leukemias such as acute promyelocytic leukemia that you're unlikely to come across in your exams but it's worth being aware that there are other types of leukemia as well. Firstly, let's talk about the pathophysiology. Leukemia is a form of cancer of the cells in the bone marrow. So a genetic mutation in one of the precursor cells in the bone marrow leads to excessive production of a single type of abnormal white blood cell. The excessive production of a single type of cell can lead to suppression of the other cell lines causing underproduction of other types of cells. This could result in what we call a pancytopenia, which is a combination of a low number of red blood cells, or an anemia, a low number of white blood cells, which we call a leukopenia, and a low number of platelets, which we call a thrombocytopenia. These four different types of leukemia occur at different ages, and to remember the ages at which they occur, I use the mnemonic all cellmates have common ambitions. And this tells you the progressive ages of different leukemias from 45 to 75 in steps of 10 years. Remember that acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL, the first in the mnemonic, most commonly affects children under the age of 5 years. So to go through those, remember all cellmates have common ambitions. All stands for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which occurs in under fives and over 45s. The next is chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which you remember as cellmates or CELL, occurs in over 55s. Chronic myeloid is remembered with COM or common, and this occurs in over 65s. And then acute myeloid leukemia which I remember with ambitions, A-M, ambitions, which occurs in over 75s. So to go through that again, all for acute lymphoblastic leukemia in under 5s and over 45s, cellmates for chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which occurs in over 55s, have common for chronic myeloid leukemia in over 65s, and ambitions for acute myeloid leukemia in over 75s. So how does leukemia present? Well, the presentation of leukemia is quite non-specific. And if you have any suspicion that leukemia might be one of the differentials in a presentation, then the first investigation of choice is to get an urgent full blood count 
with a blood film to investigate and see whether it could potentially be the cause. But some typical features they might present with are fatigue, fever, failure to thrive, particularly in children, pallor because of the anemia, so pale skin, pale conjunctiva in their eyes, petechiae, which is bleeding under the skin, and abnormal bruising can be caused by thrombocytopenia in leukemias. Remember, thrombocytopenia is a low platelet count. Abnormal bleeding, lymphadenopathy or swollen lymph nodes, which are typically non-tender, and hepatosplenomegaly can also be a sign of leukemia. We mentioned petechiae there, so I wanted to go through some differential diagnosis of petechiae. And petechiae are areas of blood or tiny spots underneath the skin that don't blanch. And bleeding under the skin causing petechiae, or what we call purpura, which are larger areas of bleeding under the skin, is often the presenting feature of leukemia. This is because there's a thrombocytopenia, or a low platelet count, which makes the patient more prone to bleeding. It's important to be aware of the key differential diagnosis for this type of non-blanching rash that causes bleeding under the skin. The top differential we've already mentioned is leukemia, but you also really need to think about meningococcal septicemia, and this is a very urgent life-threatening emergency, particularly something that you need to think about in children. There's also vasculitis, which can cause a non-blanching rash, henoxonlin purpura, or HSP, idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, or ITP, and then of course non-accidental injury. And don't ever forget to think about non-accidental injury or abuse, particularly in children or vulnerable adults. So how do we establish a diagnosis of leukemia? Well, a full blood count is the initial investigation. And I recommend a full blood count within 48 hours for any patient where you suspect there could be leukemia. Children or young adults with petechiae or hepatosplenomegaly should be referred immediately to hospital because potentially they could have life-threatening conditions such as meningococcal septicemia. Doing a lactate dehydrogenase or an LDH is a blood test that can be raised in leukemia but is not necessarily specific to leukemia. It can be raised in a number of other cancers and many non-cancerous diseases and even in healthy patients, for example, after strenuous exercise. A bone marrow biopsy can be used to take a sample of the cells in the bone marrow and this is used to establish a definitive diagnosis of leukemia because you take a sample of those abnormal cells in the bone marrow that are generating the leukemia cells. A chest x-ray may be used to show infection or mediastinal lymphadenopathy. A lymph node biopsy can be used to assess lymph nodes that are enlarged and also investigate for lymphoma. A lumbar puncture may be used if there's central nervous system involvement. And then detailed imaging such as a CT, MRI or PET scan can be used for staging and assessing for lymphoma or other tumours. Let's talk more specifically about a bone marrow biopsy. Bone marrow biopsy is usually taken from the iliac crest and it involves using a local anaesthetic and a specialist needle. There's two main types of bone marrow biopsy. The first is a bone marrow aspiration, which involves taking a liquid sample full of cells from within the bone marrow. And the second is something called a bone marrow trephine, which involves taking a solid core sample of the bone marrow and it provides a much better assessment of the cells and the structure of the bone marrow. 
Samples from within a bone marrow aspiration can be examined straight away. However, a trephine sample requires a few days of preparation before they can be examined. So let's go through the four main types of leukemia and their individual characteristics. So the first is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Acute lymphoblastic leukemia is where there's a malignant change in one of the lymphocyte precursor cells and this causes acute proliferation or rapidly multiplying cells from a single type of lymphocyte, usually a B lymphocyte. Excessive proliferation of these cells causes them to replace the other cells in the bone marrow and this leads to a pancytopenia, which means a low red cell count, a low white cell count and a low platelet count. This is the most common cancer in children and it peaks around two to four years of age. It can also affect adults above the age of 45. It's most often associated with Down syndrome. So if you see a patient in your exams who's young, two to four years old, has Down syndrome and has developed bruising, think about acute lymphoblastic leukemia. If you do a blood film, it might show blast cells. And it's also associated with the T15 to 17 translocation in about 30% of children with acute lymphoblastic leukemia and the Philadelphia chromosome, which is a T922 translocation in about 30% of adults with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Next, let's talk about chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And chronic lymphocytic leukemia is where there's chronic proliferation of a single type of well-defined lymphocyte, usually B lymphocytes. This usually occurs in adults over the age of 55, and it's often asymptomatic, but it can present with infections, anemia, bleeding, and weight loss. And it can also cause warm autoimmune hemolytic anemia, or just a hemolytic anemia that causes a drop in hemoglobin. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia can transform into high-grade lymphoma, and this is called Reiter's transformation. And when you do a blood film, it may show smear or smudge cells, and this occurs during the process of preparing the blood film where aged or fragile white blood cells rupture and leave a smudge on the film while the film is being prepared. Next, let's talk about chronic myeloid leukemia. Chronic myeloid leukemia has three phases. The first is the chronic phase, the next is the accelerated phase, and the final phase is the blast phase. The chronic phase can last around five years and it's often asymptomatic and patients are usually diagnosed in this phase incidentally with a raised white blood cell count that can't be explained in other ways. The accelerated phase occurs where the abnormal blast cells take up a higher proportion of the cells in the bone marrow and in the blood they take up approximately 10 to 20% of the cells in this area. In the accelerated phase, patients then become more symptomatic and they develop an anemia, a thrombocytopenia, and they can become immunocompromised. And the final phase is the blast phase, which follows the accelerated phase, and it involves an even higher proportion of blast cells in the blood. Usually more than 30% of the blood cells are blast cells. This phase has more severe symptoms and involves a pancytopenia and it's often fatal. The cytogenetic change or the genetic change within the cells that is characteristic of chronic myeloid leukemia is the Philadelphia chromosome and this is where there's a translocation of genes between the chromosome 9 and 22. 
which is described as a T922 translocation. And this is where some of the genetic material from chromosome 9 swaps with some of the genetic material on chromosome 22. And that's what a translocation is. So if you see that somebody in your exam has a Philadelphia chromosome, think about chronic myeloid leukemia. Next, let's talk about acute myeloid leukemia. And this is the most common acute leukemia in adults. There's many different types of acute myeloid leukemia, all with slightly different cytogenetic differences and differences in presentation. Acute myeloid leukemia can present at any age, but it normally presents from middle-aged onwards. It can be the result of a transformation from a myeloproliferative disorder, such as polycythemia rubavera or myelofibrosis. So if somebody's had a long history of myelofibrosis or polycythemia, and then they suddenly develop a high white cell count and symptoms of leukemia, think about acute myeloid leukemia. A blood film will show a high proportion of blast cells in the blood, and these blast cells can have rods inside their cytoplasm that are named AUR rods, or A-U-E-R rods. So if you see this in your exam, think about acute myeloid leukemia. So time for a bit of a Tom tip. There are some key bits of information that you need to learn to be able to spot which leukemia is the right one in your exam. So I'm going to run quickly through those key bits of information to hopefully help you spot the right leukemia in your exam. Acute lymphoblastic leukemia is the most common leukemia in children and is associated with Down syndrome. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia is the most common leukemia in adults overall. It's associated with warm hemolytic anemia, writer's transformation into lymphoma and smudge or smear cells on the blood film. Chronic myeloid leukemia has three phases, including a five-year asymptomatic chronic phase. It's associated with the Philadelphia chromosome. And then acute myeloid leukemia is the most common acute leukemia in adults. It can be the result of a transformation from a myeloproliferative disorder and it's associated with AUR rods. The next thing to talk about is management, and treatment will be coordinated by an oncology multidisciplinary team, so a specialist team involved in treating leukemias. Leukemia is primarily treated with chemotherapy and steroids, and a few other therapies that could be involved would be radiotherapy, bone marrow transplant, and surgery. There's a few complications of the chemotherapy that's used to treat leukemia that you should be aware of. The first is failure. It might not be able to treat the leukemia fully. The next is in children, it can lead to stunted growth and development. It can lead to infections due to immunodeficiency, neurotoxicity, so it can affect the brain and the functioning of the brain. Infertility is a key complication, particularly in young people and children. Secondary malignancy can occur. So if you've had chemotherapy, it predisposes you to developing other cancers. Chemotherapy can affect the heart and cause cardiotoxicity. And finally, it can cause something called tumor lysis syndrome, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. Tumor lysis syndrome is caused by the release of uric acid from cells that are being destroyed rapidly by chemotherapy. These cells normally have uric acid in them. And as they break down, usually there's enough time for the kidneys to filter out all that uric acid and not create too much of a problem. However, in tumor lysis syndrome, chemotherapy is breaking down those cells 
so quickly that uric acid is released in large quantities into the blood. This uric acid can then form crystals in the interstitial space and tubules of the kidneys and cause an acute kidney injury. And we can treat this release of uric acid with medications such as allopurinol and rasburicase. There are other chemicals that are released when these cells are destroyed, and these are things like potassium and phosphate. So these need to be monitored closely, and if the levels get too high, they need to be treated appropriately. High phosphate can lead to a low calcium, which itself can have adverse effects, so calcium is also monitored closely. So thanks for listening to this episode on leukemia. If you found it helpful and you want written notes on this topic, so you can read through everything that you've heard here, why not head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book? It's got detailed and concise notes not only on leukemia, but also over 160 different medical topics that come up regularly in everyday practice and exams. And it contains all the key facts and guidelines that you need to know about those topics. If you don't fancy spending any money and picking up a copy of the book, don't worry, all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions are available completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerodefinals.com. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on lymphoma.